This is Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. I am here every week at this time. If you are a regular listener, thank you and welcome back. If you're a new listener, this is where we talk about what's going on in the economy and in the financial markets. And we do so from an historical perspective often because your history teacher was right. History does repeat itself. And those who don't study history are doomed to repeat the same mistakes that people have made in the past. If you'd like more information about what it is we do here, we do have some free resources, including a free weekly newsletter titled Portfolio Watch that's available uh, at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. The website, again, is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Go ahead and just visit the website, and there is a place to sign up for the Portfolio Watch newsletter. And also joining me on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Harry Dent. Harry is a prolific best-selling author, and uh, I know you're going to appreciate his perspective and his forecast uh, for what lies ahead for stocks. Now, just a moment ago, I mentioned the Portfolio Watch newsletter, and a couple weeks ago in that newsletter, this is what I wrote. Stocks at this juncture are overbought, in my view. I included a chart that illustrated a weekly price chart of the S&P 500, and on it was a technical indicator that is often used to track price extremes. And I pointed out that stock prices are near the high end of this indicator that tracks extreme prices. In other words, that's why stocks are overbought. And I said, often when this chart pattern occurs, a pullback in price often follows. And that is exactly what happened. Stocks has pulled back, have pulled back rather since that time. And if you take a look at what happens with, with stocks as it relates to the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, and I want to expand on that in this segment uh, that decline was not difficult to predict. Not only were stocks overbought and due for a pullback, the Federal Reserve pulled back on money printing. Now, let me explain. Barron's reported last week that stocks experienced their worst week since August. Here's what they wrote. Interest rates remain the primary underpinning for stocks as equity valuations look stretched. That just means that stocks look overpriced, except when compared with the paltry returns offered by the debt market. That just means it's hard to invest in a bond or a fixed interest instrument and get any yield because interest rates are so low. The Barron's article continues by saying much of the credit for that is owed to the world's central banks, notably the Federal Reserve, which is, of course, the central bank of the United States. In addition to last year's three one-quarter percentage point short-term rate cuts, the central bank has expanded its balance sheet by over $300 billion since September when ructions in the repurchase agreement market led it to inject liquidity. Since then, the U.S. stock's value has jumped more than $3 trillion. Now, 
basically when you read that the central bank is expanding its balance sheet, it means the central bank is printing money. We'll talk about this with Harry Dent in the next two segments. But as I said, the Fed prints and stocks rally. It's a predictable pattern. Barron's agrees. Later in the article, it says this, the Fed insists that its operations don't constitute quantitative easing, as it calls its purchases of long-term securities intended to boost stock and bond prices. Its recent operations consist of adding liquidity to the money markets through repurchase agreements and by by buying short-term bills. Others call this a distinction without difference, giving the impact on stock and bond prices. Well, interestingly, this repo market, which is the overnight lending market between banks, seized up and the Fed expanded its balance sheet or printed money in order to stabilize the market. When the Fed prints money, stocks go up. The Fed's balance sheet contracted by $25 billion and stocks declined. Now, could this be coincidence? Of course. But it's probably not coincidence in my view. Money creation and stock rallies occur in tandem. Now, since September, when the Fed has been injecting liquidity, which simply means adding newly printed cash, into the repo market. Well, as I said, since September, for reasons that have not totally yet been disclosed, some banks refused to lend to other banks or financial institutions on an overnight basis. Now, if you think about it, why would one bank refuse to lend money on an overnight or short-term basis to another bank? Well, you'd have to be somewhat concerned about getting paid back. So I see this as a red flag of trouble that may be brewing in the banking sector. But keep in mind, when you read that the Fed is expanding its balance sheet, they can only get money by creating it, by printing it out of thin air. They don't sell anything. They don't manufacture anything. The Barron's article stated that the central bank has expanded its balance sheet by over $300 billion since September. Well, the balance sheet was about $3.7 trillion in September. It's now approaching $4.2 trillion. Over that same time frame, the S&P went up from $28.50 to $33.50. Now, what happens when the Fed tightens? In my view, given the valuation of stocks today, you have to be very, very cautious. We talk about strategies to consider, to use, to protect yourself at our educational events. You can visit socialsecuritydinner.com and learn about our next upcoming educational event. Uh, You can also visit, as I said at the outset, at the beginning of this segment, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. There are more resources available there as well, and you can also sign up to get our Portfolio Watch newsletter for free. I'll be back after these words with Harry Dent. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is returning guest, uh, Mr. Harry Dent. Uh, Harry is a renowned economist. He's a prolific author. His most recent book is Zero Hour, 
And uh, if you're not yet a subscriber to Harry's free newsletter, it's a free daily newsletter. It's harrydent.com. That's the website you can go to sign up for the free newsletter. Uh, I always appreciate Harry's perspective. And uh, Harry, welcome back to the program. Yeah, nice to be back, Dennis. So, Harry, uh, there's a lot going on we can talk about in the economy, but uh, we chatted a bit here before we started recording this conversation. I think uh, with the Fed now really kind of propping up the repo market, that is really big news that's kind of flying under the radar with all the you know, coronavirus and impeachment news out there. Can you fill the listeners in as to what's actually going on and why it's important? Yeah, you know, I mean, the Fed had this massive quantitative easing program from 2009 to 2014. They finally said, oh, we're going to not do that anymore. And then they actually went the other way and started buying back bonds. I mean, selling off bonds instead of buying back bonds and took some liquidity out of the system. So all of this was to save the banking system from going under in 2008 and nine. And they thought it would be short term, no big deal. And then comes this repo crisis. So when they actually pulled back a little bit, the banking system says, oh, wait a minute, you're taking liquidity out. We need this stuff. You never fix this debt crisis. You never, you know, we're still in trouble, you know. And and so um, all of a sudden, these repo rates shot up overnight, which means oh, there's nobody to lend money to the banks overnight. So the Fed had to stop in, step in. And guess what? They're now like printing money twice as fast as they were at the peak of quantitative easing at $60 billion, uh, you know, uh, a, a month. It's just crazy what's happening. So they printed $424 billion since mid-September Oh, this was supposed to just be a short-term little crisis. No, it's ballooned into $424 billion. And guess what? I got a chart, and you know, I've just done uh, the last few days, Dennis. Very simple. Balance sheet from all this repo buying has gone back up rapidly, and the stock market is following it tit for tat. I mean, it's a, a direct correlation. They backed off in the last two weeks, and now the stock market's backing off a little, but they're probably going to step on the gas again, and it's going to go straight up until this bubble blows. So so the, the lesson here is you don't get something for nothing. You try to print money to get out of a financial crisis without dealing with it and writing down debts like normal businesses do and governments have had to do in the past. And uh, it comes back and it traps you and it says, oh, we need more. It's just like a financial drug. Oh, we need more to keep from coming down. So I, I think the Fed is trapped by their own quantitative easing measures. And now they're starting to lose control because they're being forced to print money because the larger banks that used to lend overnight to leverage traders and stuff like that to keep the system from blowing up. Uh, they're not able to do it. So the Fed's stepping in. So, but, but the point is, market going up directly, 3,000 points on the Dow for $424 you know, billion in printing. And it's just going to keep happening as long as this happens. So we have a new three-week leading indicator. Fed prints more money. It doesn't. Here's the point, Dennis. People say, oh, oh, no, this is just repo. They're not. 
quantitative easing. Oh, oh, and 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 when they're not buying repos, they're buying T bills. They're not trying to force down long-term Treasury bond rates by buying Treasury bonds. That's not what matters. They're taking money printed out of thin air, putting it into the same pool of financial assets, which causes all financial assets to go up in the most leveraged and high-yielding from high-yield bonds to stocks go up the most, and real estate as well. So they're just pumping this bubble up. To, I think we're in the final, what I call orgasmic stage. The final blow off started in early October in response to this Fed repo thing, and it's just going to go straight up until it blows. Could be May, could be as late as the election. It, it doesn't look like it's going to happen tomorrow morning to me because this is still happening, but this is the biggest thing going on, and it also plays into my 90 year tech cycle where you have bubbles um, every 90 years to extreme, like the 1929 peak, the crash in 32, the 1837 peak, the crash into 1842, 90 years before that. And now this one, and people say, oh, the banks, central banks won't let it happen. It is starting to happen. Bubbles go so extreme, they burst on their own. And my research, Dennis, shows very clearly every major stock bubble in the last century, the first crash has been between 30 and 50 percent in the first two to two and a half months. And the average has been 42 percent in 2.6 months. So this when you'll know this bubble's over when that happens, but that's already going to be a major shock to investors in the system. People will panic and sell, and 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 then we'll have a rebound after that, and then we'll go down for two, two, three years. So, I still say we're going to peak sometime this year. Uh, probably not yet. Maybe late May. Maybe close to the election at the latest, and then it goes down. The other thing, Dennis, I've noticed. IPOs, uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, John Thomas, who, who's a, a super trader and is in Silicon Valley, he says there's 220 IPOs looking to come out to cash in before Silicon Valley expects a recession right after the election. And 97% of CFOs, chief financial officers of, of corporations, also expect a recession to start by the end of the year. So everybody's going to get on this bubble train. A bubble in IPOs takes money away from the leading tech stocks, like the FANG stocks and the NASDAQ and all of that, and that can cause a crash. The last time we saw this happen was in 2000 when the first tech bubble peaked. Now this tech bubble is going to peak. So it's going to come sometime this year. you got to realize, first crash, 40-some percent overnight. Uh, and by the time you realize it's over, it's more than over and, and, and you're in trouble. And then these bubbles tend to burst 70, 80, 90 percent after that uh, until they bottom. I expect the bottom. I've been predicting a bottom in these markets uh, for 20 years now in late 2022, give or take, by my cycle. So we got the worst coming in our economy we've seen for a long time. Uh, since the early 30s, and nobody thinks it can happen. That's perfect lineup. Well, if you're just joining us, we're chatting today with Mr. Harry Dent, 
Uh, I'd encourage you to go check out and sign up for Harry's free newsletter. It's at harrydent.com. And Harry, you mentioned IPOs, and I think you said there were 220 IPOs uh, getting ready to go public. Um, and I read uh, from a couple different sources, I think, that uh, there are a, the majority of these IPOs, or many of these IPOs, and maybe you can uh, refine this statement a bit, uh, have no earnings. These are these are companies like like Uber that that they 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 they've yeah. never made a nickel. Their disclosure documents said, you know, we'll probably never make money, um, and that kind of is is just craziness. Yeah. Does, is that another sign that this is a bubble? It it is, and and that's another great indicator, Dennis. Eighty one percent in two thousand. Eighty one percent of the IPOs had, were at losses, no profits. And now that's come to 81% again. And I actually think that's going to go higher this year before it peaks. And yes, that's, that's another sign that people are speculating, betting on speculation rather than real growth. Since the bottom of the economy, you know, and stocks in 2009 and all, and all this quantitative easing, all this stimulus has only got us 2% real GDP growth on average, the worst recovery ever, way worse than the 1930s decade. So this this whole thing is all about a financial asset bubble because the, the central banks are printing money. It's not, you know, banks can print money uh, to make loans against 10% deposits so they can multiply that. But that money goes into investments productive investments and, and, you know, things that are supposed to pay back interest. No, this is just pure Federal Reserve and other central banks creating money out of thin air, buying financial assets from the existing system and adding money to the same pool, which means all financial assets go up. And again, our latest indicator shows a 98% correlation between this last phase of repo and T-bill buying to shore up the banking system in the repo crisis and stocks going straight up since early October, straight up on no good news, no other reason than more money chasing the same financial assets, especially the highest return ones. It always ends up in stocks, even if it starts in repos or T-bills or T-bonds, it always ends up more in stocks. And that's what we've been seeing since 2009. I can also show, Dennis, from my best fundamental indicator ever invented by me or any economist, where the stock market should be compared to the generational cycle of spending. Stocks are the most overvalued in history, 120% on this indicator, all because of stock buybacks. Companies been taking this cheap money from the Fed, higher than average cash flow, bolstering up the economy, and they're buying back their own stocks, reducing the number of stocks outstanding, which increases the earnings per share. And guess how much earnings per share have gone up compared to real profits? 120%, exactly how much stocks are revalued. So we got the biggest crash coming in history. Question of whether it happens couple months from now or several months from now, I don't think, and I think, I think the IPO people, because there's smart money, I think the CFOs running big corporations are all right. By the end of this year, early next year, we're going to be in a recession and this whole thing's going to melt down. So, you know, 
you know, I, I wouldn't be pulling out of stocks yet, but uh, within months I'd be starting to do it. And uh, the good the good news is if, when they fall 70, 80, 90 percent, every major bubble in history has been in that kind of range, especially in this 90 year cycle. OK, then you get to buy the world on the greatest sale in history. Same great companies, whether it be Apple or some new blockchain company, and you're buying them 70, 80, 90 percent off. That's how, uh, you know, Joseph Kennedy became a billionaire instead of a multimillionaire in a few years in the early 30s. That's how General Motors, who was number two in the auto industry, became number one by 1933, passing Ford because they hunkered down and were ready for the downturn and then became the largest corporation in all of history into the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, So this is opportunity from my point of view. But the only way to take advantage of it is get out of the bubble before or as it bursts, because when it does, money just disappears. I estimate, Dennis, out of about $330 trillion in financial assets in the world, stocks, bonds, commodities, everything, loans, uh, about half of that's going to disappear, $150, $160 trillion. Uh, and in and, and the U.S. alone, 60 trillion, uh, three times our GDP. This is going to be devastating short term, but it's going to cause a reset that allows us to write down loans, get benefits to corporations and consumers instead of QE that just pumps up, uh, you know, investors um, and financial assets. And we can come out of this. But I tell you, it's going to be really nasty between now and then if you don't protect yourself uh it could be the worst thing ever happened to you i, I hate to bring that news because i was the most bullish forecaster in the 80s and 90s uh but as we've come into this bubble and this quantitative easing which is a something for nothing quick fix of all history i call it the greatest financial con in history basically that we're you know we're gonna have to reset this thing and it's going to be painful for all financial assets except for high quality bonds and except for cash in countries like the u.s that have the best currency we may not be a good currency but we're the best house in a bad neighborhood on every measure in demographics money printing everything i want to measure we're better off than europe china Japan and our biggest competitors in the world. We're going to get kicked, but we're going to come out of it better and our currency is going to hold up better. So so you want to be in good treasury bonds, AAA, corporate bonds, you know, like Coca-Cola or something that are not going to default. And then you let these assets fall back to reality. Stocks will have to go from, let's say, a 33,000 Dow down to 5,000. People don't think that's possible. It happened in 1929 to 32. It happens every 90 years approximately. So I'm just warning. And if I'm wrong, hey, get out of the market for a year. Or, or, you know, if it doesn't happen by sometime well in 2021, then it's probably not going to happen. But I tell you, I think it's going to happen. Well, our guest today is Mr. Harry Dent. We're going to have to leave it there for this segment. Uh, I'd encourage you to check out Harry's free newsletter at harrydent.com. And we'll be back with Harry Dent after these words. Stay with us. 
I am Dennis Tuberg, and you are listening to RLA Radio. I'm pleased to have back on the program today Mr. Harry Dent. Uh, Harry is a very well-known economist. He is a very prolific, best-selling author. And uh, if you're just joining us, uh, Harry has made an offer for his free daily newsletter for our listeners today. You can go to harrydent.com and sign up for the free newsletter, and I would encourage you to do that. I always appreciate Harry's perspective. Uh, Harry, you know, there's been some talk um, about helicopter money, and I think that that uh, statement was originally attributed to Ben Bernanke, uh, who I think uh, got that as a nickname, Helicopter Ben. And it's the idea that not only will this quantitative easing continue, but this newly created money will end up directly in the pockets of consumers. This being an election year, do you see that as being a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. Trump's already talking about it, been talking about it for months. He's talking about something like a payroll tax cut. You have to remember, the biggest tax that the everyday person pays is not the income tax. I mean, 80, 90 percent of that's paid by the top 20 percent and most of that by the top one to 10. What they pay is the Social Security tax, you know, the self and, and entrepreneurs and businesses, the self-employment tax. That he could do a holiday on that, which is a 7.6 percent boost to the consumer. And if he allows it to go on the business side, another 7.6 percent boost to them after already lowering taxes. So, yes, this this is a different type of stimulus when the Federal Reserve prints money. They put it into the financial markets because they buy financial assets and add to that pool without somebody else having to sell to buy, you know, the, something. So, so that's different from when you actually send the stimulus, either a check in the mail or easily, or more easily, uh, they don't have to pay the payroll taxes from their paycheck, 7.6% or so. That's a direct stimulus goes into consumers' hands. They have more money to spend. They put it in their bank account. Now, that is not the same because that can be lent, and that is money that is actually going to tend to be spent um, rather than just go into a financial asset bubble. So now here's the problem with that, Dennis. We've had this rebound, strong rebound, and typically in rebounds, inflation goes up and wage pressures go up. Well, wage pressures are finally starting to go up. And if you send money to Homer Simpson and they spend it, that is going to push up inflation. That will push up long-term and short-term interest rates. That could be another trigger for this bubble to burst because stocks do way better with lower long-term rates and, 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 and the cost of buying a house and a car and everything better with lower long-term rates. So that could be another thing to prick this bubble. But, you know, the China real estate bubble bursting, bad loans in emerging countries, which have come since the last bubble peak when we flooded the world with money. Most of that money went into emerging country loans since we were already over uh, borrowed in, in developed countries. So all, all of this stuff, I'm telling you, it's just going to be one trigger after the next. But it is going to have to come back to reality. And it's going to mean real estate goes down 40 to 50 percent uh, on average. Stocks go down 70 to 90 percent on average. And commodities, which are already down, go down another 
30, 40, 50% after bouncing. And that includes gold, which is supposed to save us. So I'm not a gold bug here. I love gold long-term with Indians and Asia being the biggest buyers and they're going to be the biggest growth in the future. But gold also after bouncing here, maybe a few more months or so is going to go back down. So there's nowhere to hide. You just got to get out of the bubble and protect your assets. If you're a business, you got to hunker down because somebody's going to survive in every sector. So you be the one that hunkers down, builds up cash flow, cuts costs, you know, best serves your most loyal customers and survives this. And then your competitors will disappear and you'll be doing better than ever coming out of this. So huge rewards from this in my zero hour book, but huge um, consequences if you just are blindsided and don't see this coming. So, Harry, in the last segment, you mentioned uh, a couple cycles, and, and I, I'd like to explore those cycles. And, uh, you know, history does repeat itself, and I know there's going to be those listening uh, to the program today that are going to be a bit skeptical that, that, you know, do cycles really exist? So talk, if you would, a bit about this 90-year cycle. What is it? Uh, Talk a little bit about how often it's repeated itself and, uh, and, and just dig into that a bit, if you would. Yeah, I mean, that's a good one, Dennis. If you look at a stock chart, since the stock exchanges came in London and then the U.S. in the late 1700s and, and the whole Industrial Revolution, all of this accentuated this 45-year technology cycle. Technologies became a bigger force with the industrial revolution and free market capitalism and democracy and all this sort of stuff. So since then, that cycle has been more pronounced. If you look at the long, and I've got it, I've got it. I show it to people every day, put it in all my books. If you look at stocks adjusted for inflation, adjusted for exponential growth, which they have been every 90 years, you get a major bubble. It was 1837 panic that started off that one back then. It was a stock bubble, but it was more a real estate bubble from government in the U.S., you know, incentivizing people with free money and easy, you know, low-cost real estate to move to the Midwest, which meant back then the, the Midwest, not, not California. Huge bubble. Uh, you know, Chicago was connected to the Great Lakes through canals for the first time. So technology, everything booming, and it crashed. The biggest bubble crash, the greatest depression in U.S. history back then, only to be exceeded by the next 90-year cycle building up, you know, uh, and uh, 1929 to 32, similar crash, 90-year cycle. So now we've had the computer um, cycle, personal computers, and then now the internet, 90 years later, we're at the top of the next great bubble, the only major bubble in stocks we've seen. And now it's much more global since 1929. And it's going to burst. Bubbles can only burst because they divorce themselves from reality, uh, especially with quantitative easing. They just pumps money in for no reason, which has made this bubble greater than ever. And then it's going to burst. And after it bursts, all the opportunities come. But man, if you get caught in that slide, you're dead. I mean, I hate to say it, it just wealth will evaporate faster 
in any time in history in the country that has the greatest bubble in real estate, the greatest debt growth and creation of bubbles is China. And China's going to get hard, hit harder than anybody. And everybody thinks China's the next wonder that's going to take over the world. They're going to take 10 years to get back to normal. That's my forecast. So, Harry, we've got about two and a half minutes left. Very briefly, the generational cycle of spending. Can you dig into that? Yeah, it was my simplest indicator back in the mid to late 80s. I figured out, oh, generations come along and the baby boom was much larger than usual. So that made it more obvious. And, and when they enter the workforce, they are both supply and demand. They're new workers who are going to get more productive as they learn and age. And they're also consumers. They're going to earn more and spend more. So they're demand and supply. So we had the greatest boom in history from 1983 to 2007. It took me till 1988 to really quantify it after studying it in the early 80s. And then I predicted the whole thing. You know, we're, we're going to have the best decade in the 90s. Uh, and it's not going to peak till 2007. And all of that happened. But after it peaked, we got on quantitative easing. And now we've been printing money to cover it over. And now we have a slower economy, obviously. But we have a bigger stock bubble because it's all about inflating financial assets, which at least keeps the top 1, 10, 20% spending. And, you know, you say, oh, it's only 20% for the upper class, but that's 50% of GDP, 50% of consumer spending. So it is keeping the economy at 2% growth instead of 4%. And without all this quantitative easing, we would have been negative for years. So we've supposedly averted the great, the next Great Depression. And everybody thinks, oh, the Federal Reserve were geniuses. All they did was take the easy way out, took more of the drug, keep from coming down and it's just going to mean a bigger downturn in this time frame. My, I have four major indicators that work together and all four of them are largely down between 2020 and 2022. So I think that's when we have this big crash and reset. And then after that, it'll clear the decks and we can grow. And, and, and the fastest rebound I think we ever had in history was after the 1929 to 32 crash. We, we deleveraged a lot of debt, cleared the system. It was painful as hell. 25% unemployment, 89% downturn in blue chip stocks like General Motors, Ford, and RCA. And then boom, we boomed again. That's the way the economy works. Well, central banks don't want to have recessions, so they try to prevent them and they only make them worse. And so that's why I'm saying got to get worse before it gets better. That's simple. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Our guest today has been Mr. Harry Dent. Uh, if you joined us in the middle of that segment, uh, you should go check out Harry's free daily newsletter. You can subscribe at harrydent.com. Harry, always a pleasure to chat with you and always appreciate your perspective and uh, love to have you back down the road. Thanks for joining us today. Okay, great. Enjoyed it again, Dennis. We will be back after these words. This is RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. And thanks again to Mr. Harry Dent for joining us on today's program. You know, in segment one of today's program, I talked about the fact that since September, 
the Federal Reserve has expanded its balance sheet by more than $300 billion. We talked about this with Harry Dent. And keep in mind, whenever you hear or read that the Fed is expanding its balance sheet, it simply means that the Fed is printing money. The Fed doesn't sell anything that it manufactures. Whenever it needs money to inject into the repo market, it just simply manufactures or prints the money. Now, when the Fed expands its balance sheet, stocks seem, stock seem to rally. And when the Fed sees its balance sheet contract, we see stocks often fall as well. Now, the bottom line is this. It seems that money creation drives up the price of stocks. But I would, in this segment, like to have you consider something else. Money creation leads to price inflation. You see, stocks are priced in the same dollars that you use to go to the grocery store and buy your groceries. So when price inflation happens, it drives up prices at the grocery store, but it also drives up the price of stocks. And this is a relationship that's not often discussed. Now, this past week, I was reading John Malden's newsletter. Uh, John's got a terrific weekly newsletter titled Thoughts from the Frontline. And he talked a bit about inflation. And I want to give you just a little bit from John's newsletter because I like his perspective. Wonks tell us with all sincerity things like the U.S. cost of living rose 2.1% last year. John asks, really? To an actual numerical decimal place on something in vague as complex as inflation? He said, now to give them credit, they're looking at the total national inflation rate, and it's extraordinarily complex, and they do the best they can. But the inflation that you and I experience, they don't know. They can't know it, or at least not with any precision, because the cost of living is so individualized. See, everybody spends their money differently, and the things they spend it on vary in price for many reasons. Now, when you look at the actual real, real reported inflation rate, it's about 2%. But if you and I have been to the grocery store, we know that simply can't be true. And that's because when the official inflation rate is calculated, there's weightings that are used, there's substitution that are used, and there's something called a hedonic adjustment that's used. And I'll talk about that one just briefly because John Malden brings it up in his newsletter. See, a hedonic adjustment simply defined as a price adjustment for an improvement in the product. A price adjustment for some product feature that has changed that makes using it more convenient and therefore more valuable. Now, I'm going to show my age here for just a minute because I can remember growing up when I was the remote control for the TV set at my house. If my dad wanted to watch something that happened to be on the other two channels that we got, because many of you remember when there was only three channels, I would get up and turn the channel. 
Well, when remote controls came out with television sets, there was a hedonic adjustment that was made. Now, because you don't have to get up and walk across the room or have one of your kids do it to change the channel, we can allow for an increase in price because the product has been improved. That's a hedonic adjustment. Well, according to Consumer Price Index data, and this is from John Malden's newsletter, a television set that cost $1,000 in 1996 today with hedonic adjustments is $22. Now, obviously, you can't buy any such product today, but the fact that you can spend the same amount of money and get a better TV because of these hedonic adjustments depresses the inflation rate. So this is theoretical. The problem is we don't spend theoretical dollars. We spend real dollars. Now, the Chapwood Index might be a better measure of the actual inflation rate. This index compares the retail price of 500 consumer items that consumers most frequently purchase over different time frames. Now, using this arguably way more practical measure of inflation, one finds that the average annual inflation rate over the past five years ranges from 8% annually in Dallas, Texas, to 13% annually in San Jose, California. Mesa, Arizona is on the low end of the metro areas tracked. Mesa had an average annual inflation rate over five years of 6.6%, and on the high end was Oakland, California, with an average annual inflation rate over five years of 13.1%. Now back to my point. The dollars used to purchase consumer items are the same dollars used to purchase stocks. As consumer items have increased in cost on an average of about 10% per year nationwide, according to the Chapwood Index, over the last five years, that alone would account for about a 50% rise in the price of stocks if that is the real inflation rate. Because again, Stocks are priced in dollars just like consumer items. Now, I believe one of the primary driving forces between, behind higher consumer prices and higher stock prices is Federal Reserve policy. Now, the changes in the way the official inflation rate is calculated has masked this reality. But given higher debt levels at the government, Government deficits are a trillion dollars for as far as the eye can see. This money creation, in my view, will have to continue because the alternatives are likely even less pleasant or at least less pleasant immediately. You simply can't raise taxes on any class of people and solve this problem. There's not enough money. The underfunding of Social Security and Medicare along with the national debt could not be covered if 100% of household assets were simply confiscated. That won't work. Forget the political rhetoric that you're hearing. You could cut spending by a draconian amount, which would likely put the country into a deflationary depression, or you have to print. That's what I believe will happen. And to protect yourself, I would urge you to consider going tangible with some of your assets. 
tangible assets have physical characteristics and they have intrinsic value. Now we've got some resources resources for you to check out. We've got educational events that we hold uh, in the area. You can go to socialsecuritydinner.com and check out the date of our next educational event. You can also register there. Uh, you can also visit retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's our resource website where the podcast of this radio program is posted every Monday at 5 o'clock. You can also sign up for our Portfolio Watch newsletter there, which is free. And that is also emailed every Monday at 5. That's our program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.